Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Well, it wasn't that long ago that two doses of COVID vaccine was all the doctor ordered. Then it was three. Now Israel has begun administering a fourth dose to people most vulnerable to COVID-19, which begs our question for this week, just how many doses of COVID vaccine do we need to stay a step ahead of the pandemic? Hi, Isaac. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. A geriatrician, he's off. His office is three doors down. He just brought me an incredible peanut butter chocolate brownie that his daughter made. Oh, nice. <laughs> peanut butter and chocolate. There two of the most but important it, food groups. Okay. Exactly. Washed down with coffee and like I'm ready to rock. Have you had your third dose? Yeah. Yeah. I got my third dose about six months after my second. That's good. So when are you going to be due for your fourth dose? That's the million dollar question. Before we get too far into this discussion, why don't you give us a hi, my name is, tell us who you are and what you do and where you do it. <laughs> my name is Isaac Bogosh. I'm an infectious disease specialist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. Okay, here we go. Canada hasn't given every eligible person a third dose yet. And here we have Israel has started with fourth doses to some high-risk groups. Why are they doing that now? Well, the theory is that there are groups that might keyword might benefit from a fourth dose. I hope anyone who's giving fourth doses out right now acknowledges that there's a, a lot of uncertainty as to the benefit of a fourth dose and that hopefully these are all done under the context of a meaningful and well-plotted out research program so that when there is data available, it's of the highest quality so that we can actually make policy moving forward that, that actually is based on meaningful research. What evidence have they put forward in Israel regarding the benefit of a fourth dose? The only thing we have so far, at least that I'm aware of, that's publicly available are very small shreds of evidence looking at an antibody response. It's not surprising to anyone that knows anything about the immune system that, of course, if you give a vaccine, you will see a corresponding rise in antibodies a couple of weeks after. That's pretty, pretty straightforward. The question here is, what is the meaningful short-term, medium-term, and long-term protection that a fourth dose affords one versus three doses? And of course, what is the context here? How does that fare to the Omicron variant? And how might this fare to other variants that might emerge over time moving forward? And from what I've been reading, when it comes to a quick rise in antibody levels from a booster dose, what goes up can go down very quickly. Am I right? Spot on. Spot on. So it's no, you know, these, these many of the antibodies that are produced following a vaccine rise quickly and fall quickly. So we, the, the, you know, protection against infection, not against severity of infection, but a protection against infection, at least the most bang for your buck might actually be short lived and last for a few months after your vaccine. But the real question is, what happens moving forward? Because, you know, vaccinating people every four months or every six months moving forward is obviously not a sustainable or, or smart approach. 
And, and the real question is, you know, what, what's the goal here? Like, what are we trying to do? And the answer should be, we want to prevent people from getting really sick. We want to prevent people from landing in hospital. We want to prevent people from dying. We obviously want to prevent um, at a population level, widespread uh, shutdowns and widespread disruption of, of society like we've seen in prior waves. You know, I think it's completely unrealistic for these vaccines to prevent significant numbers of infection as we see variants emerge rather quickly that chip away at the protective benefit against getting infected. Still, the vaccines do reduce the risk of getting infected, but but certainly variants chip away at that quickly. We saw that with Delta. We saw that with Omicron. And we should really be focusing on other important metrics. Of course, preventing infection is important, but also important are preventing hospitalizations, uh, deaths, and disruptions, things that disrupt our our society. A lot of our disruptions have been driven by exceeding hospital capacity. So we really have to work hard on on preventing that. I want to unpack what you've been talking about, uh, the goals, like what's your goal in administering a fourth dose in a little bit more detail. So broadly speaking, there are two potential goals. One of them would be to prevent people from getting infected. And that was certainly the big goal a year ago, like especially during the, you know, the second wave, the third wave of COVID-19. But the second goal is preventing people from being seriously ill, requiring hospitalization, requiring uh, ICU admission, being placed on a ventilator, and of course, preventing deaths. My sense is that we have kind of moved away from trying to prevent infections, especially with Omicron. And we've moved more towards seeing the goal of mass vaccination and boosters, if at all, additional boosters, as preventing hospitalizations and deaths. When did that happen? So a couple of points. There probably has been a transition of our our thought process, mostly over the last six months, as we saw waning protection over time of these vaccines with the Delta variant. And we saw the third dose vaccines, uh, at least eligibility in Canada, gradually expand to help accommodate for that. And then, of course, with the Omicron, when we saw that two doses and even three doses uh, doesn't provide the degree of protection against getting infection that we would like. It still does reduce the risk of infection, but not to the same extent that, you know, these vaccines worked against the original variant or strain of COVID that emerged from Wuhan. I think it's also important to point out that thinking about what the goals are is is a smart path forward. And of course, they're intertwined. We like to put them into silos, but they are intertwined. Like we we, of course, will be preventing infection, but probably not to the same extent with uh, with vaccines. But but these vaccines still hold up in, in reducing serious illness, hospitalization, ICU stays, death. And that's that's obviously very, very important. But if the goal is really to stamp out infection, we're probably going to be in a situation where you need much more frequent vaccinations. And you've got to ask yourself, A, is this tenable and reasonable? And B, you have to start to think about vaccine equity as well, right? If high-income countries are giving fourth doses, fifth doses, et cetera, because you want to stamp out all infection, it doesn't really make sense because then you've got lower-income countries that haven't given dose one, dose two, or even dose three, and, and they fall so far behind. So we have to think, obviously, locally, but we can't ignore globally, and we still have to think globally as well. That's extremely important. Um, and in addition to that, we have to really set what the, what the actual goals are and, and focusing on reducing severity of illness, not just in individuals, but also at a population level, I think will go a long way. 
We don't have a booster at the present time that is that was tailor made, for instance, to deal with Omicron. How much are we hampered by that at the present time based on the evidence that we have so far? You know what? It's really hard to know. It's really hard to know. There's some data that might suggest that an Omicron-specific vaccine would obviously be more helpful in reducing the risk of severe infection or infection in general in vaccinated individuals. But it might not be as simple as that as well. And I know among vaccinologists and immunologists, some are saying, you know what, there's such a what we call a polyclonal response to these vaccines that, you know, even if you're still using the same vaccine, you still might meaningfully reduce the risk of infection and severe illness as compared to if you had a specific Omicron one. So what you're saying is that uh, a vaccine that was designed to be effective against the classic uh, SARS-CoV-2 might still be effective through many different variants of COVID down the road. Yeah, it might be. It it might be. And in the same breath, it also might not be. The key thing here is we don't know. (laughs) And and many of these vaccine companies have already started to make Omicron-specific vaccines, just like some of the vaccine companies were making vaccines for other variants that had emerged, but those didn't really launch into anything commercially available or, or, or viable. And, you know, it's not quite clear what the reason is. Either A, those, those variants uh, either died down, or B, perhaps in some instances, the original vaccine was just as good as the vaccine targeting those specific variants. So again, there's, it's fair to communicate uncertainty here because there is uncertainty here. So how much would a pan-coronavirus help? That's, that, that, that's, that's one of the things that, that some immunologists have talked about. Oh, I mean, this is the holy grail. This would be absolutely incredible uh, if you had a vaccine that would target an area that we would say is, quote-unquote, conserved on the, on the virus, meaning it doesn't mutate or change with time and it's conserved across multiple coronaviruses, I mean, this would be incredible, not just for existing coronaviruses that we have, like uh, SARS-CoV-2 or uh, MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Virus, but any emerging coronavirus pandemic as well. This would be amazing. Interestingly, like this has been uh, a huge area of research for influenza, right? Creating uh, an influenza vaccine that is really targeting a part of the influenza virus that just doesn't mutate or change over time, such that you don't need an annual flu shot because you've got uh, you've targeted a part of the virus that that just stays relatively stable. Uh, so there's been you know decades of work on that, and you know what, there actually is some very meaningful progress on that front. So hope you know hopefully this comes around sooner rather than later, and hopefully with mRNA vaccine platforms, we'll be able to see some progress on that front. Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So far, we've been talking about the potential advantages of an extra dose as dubious as they might be, I want to look at things from the other side. How much is there a credible risk that more and more boosters are too much of a good thing? 
Well, I think it, it, it like anything else, here's the internal medicine answer. It depends, <laughs> but it truly does, right? I mean, we give influenza vaccines every single year, uh, and many people for decades have had an influenza vaccine. And in general, we see that people who get their flu shots have, you know, very significant protection against uh, either getting the infection or mitigating the severity of illness if they do get influenza. You know, obviously, you can't ignore that there with any vaccine, there are rare but real, but of course, rare uh, side effects. And we certainly can't ignore that. But I I don't really see that as being a driver of, uh, you know, deciding whether or not we we truly need uh, repeated doses of a vaccine. I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, what's reasonable? You know, is this a once a year thing? Is this a once every two or three year thing? Like, do we actually need it? And if the answer is, yeah, you know what, we actually need it, then we have to start thinking about how we can roll this out and really looking at what the true risk benefit ratio is. Like, what are we getting with that fourth dose? Or is there truly a survival benefit? Does everyone need a fourth dose? Is it only people with age or medical conditions that would preclude them to a more severe illness? And then lastly, you actually have to think about not just individual risk, but societal risk. Are you giving third and, of course, fourth doses at the expense of uh, many places on earth that haven't even given a first and a second dose? And I think that's an extremely important point to recognize. We cannot ignore global vaccine equity. You can do multiple things simultaneously. For example, you can provide third doses to your population while making meaningful and real donations to the global COVAX program, meaningful quarterly uh, you know, donations so that you can truly help global vaccine equity, uh, but also care for your population. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. It is possible. I know you're not an immunologist, but I want you to talk for a moment about something called original sin and, and how that may have an impact on the effectiveness of uh, COVID uh, boosters. Yeah. So the original antigenic sin is basically uh, a concept where how your body sees either a virus or, an, uh, or, or a vaccine the first time or the first few times, it really shapes how you will respond to that antigen uh, moving forward for the rest of your life. And that's why it's really important to, uh, to get it right. You know, you want to make sure your vaccines are, are well designed. You want to make sure the spacing interval is appropriate and, you know, this really impacts how people will will respond. And I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, like anything else, we don't have all the answers with this. But when you look at, for example, multi multi dose vaccine series, there's a reason that doses are separated the way they are. Right. And, and uh, you know, obviously it's not just for better immunologic performance and better, uh, more robust immunity in the short term, but also for for longer term uh, protection as well. So what you're saying then, if I can summarize, is that quick boosters might simply give a cue to your immune system to make antibodies to the original, in this case, uh, COVID uh, uh, virus, and and those original antibodies may not be all that effective. Yeah, that's 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 certainly a, a possibility. And you know, this has been discussed uh, among immunologists and vaccinologists. But it is also fair to say that we don't really know. Like, we don't know. This is going to take time 
to figure out because we have to see how people respond either to future booster vaccines or to future variants of COVID-19. And it's interesting because you've got, you know, for lack of a better word, a natural experiment going on, right? You've got different countries that have slightly different policies in terms of spacing out vaccines, in terms of choice of a vaccine. And, you know, there might be significant benefit to, you know, for example, what Canada did, where many people had dose one and dose two separated by two to three months or so in uh, in many cases. So if I was a betting person, which I'm not, you know, it's probably ideal, both short term and long term, to have dose one and dose two separated by two months and having dose two and dose three separated by five to six months, both for your short term and long term immunity. I know it's really early, but what do we know so far about the safety of four doses of COVID vaccine? Nothing, <laughs> nothing. I, I mean, I, I don't know of uh, safety data for this. I know, for example, Israel is is giving fourth doses to select populations, mainly elderly individuals and those with underlying medical conditions. In Ontario, there is a fourth dose program, and we know that people who don't mount the same degree of an immune response to vaccines are eligible for fourth doses. That, again, is being studied, but it's also a program that is rolling out. So people in long-term care facilities and people with underlying immune issues uh, that are, are, are eligible for fourth doses. Again, it's fair to say that adults should be getting three doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. These are individuals that won't mount the same degree of an immune response as others with three doses of the vaccine. And obviously the hope is that the fourth dose will help tip them over the edge to give them what three doses would give to other uh, immunocompetent individuals. You know, is it going to work? I don't know. I hope so. But uh, of course, anything like this needs to be studied in a very meaningful manner and in in a very careful manner so that we can actually use this to help create policy. There really needs to be high caliber science, you know, prospective, randomized clinical trials that will really address this question because COVID's not going away. We know that this question is going to come up and it's probably going to come up in the middle to latter part of 2022. Do we need another dose? This is the time to set up those clinical trials so that we can address this question with high quality data. This will avoid infighting and arguing between doctors, scientists, public health. This will inform sound policy. And of course, integrated with all of this is really ensuring that other parts of the world that haven't had dose one and dose two are not left behind. You've got to have meaningful commitments to the COVAX program to get first and second and of course, third doses to other countries that aren't as fortunate to Canada, even before we think about fourth doses here in Canada. And should that high quality research be done? How practical is it to expect Canadians to just keep rolling up their sleeves? Well, I think it depends on the frequency, right? Like, it, I, it, again, it's it, it's completely impractical to have large-scale global vaccine programs every, you know, three or four months. That doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. But, you know, if this is something where, and again, this is, I, I don't know where this is going to land, but if we end up in a position where, hey, it looks like there's really good quality data that demonstrates that we should get a, a vaccine once a year, just like the flu shot. 
great. Then let's get a vaccine once a year, just like the flu shot. If this is doesn't provide meaningful protection, or maybe there's some people that need a vaccine, but other people don't. Great. Let's ensure that those people have access to the vaccine. You know, if, if that's the case, I think it might morph into something very similar to what we see with the annual influenza vaccine, which the uptake is poor. It is poor. Depending on the community or the population, uptake is anywhere between uh, 20 to 60 percent. And, uh, and, you know, that's not, that's not good enough. Um, and of course, if this ends up being a, you know, a vaccine preventable illness moving forward, where you need more frequent vaccinations, like once a year or once every two or three years, you know, we might see similar things that, like we see with the influenza, where you see some very sad cases of people who are sick or, or, or who die. And, uh, you know, vaccines were available. And we know the vaccines help reduce infection and reduce severity of infection if someone is infected. And, you know, we might see more of the same. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, thank you so much for speaking with me. My pleasure. Have a great day. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. There's good evidence that a third dose of COVID vaccine is beneficial, but at present, there's little scientific justification for a fourth dose. The only way we'll know if fourth doses are beneficial is by doing well-designed studies. Likewise, we won't know if that extra dose does more harm than good without those studies. Current boosters do not do a good job of preventing infection with the Omicron variant. But the good news is that three doses of a COVID vaccine substantially reduces hospitalizations and deaths from the coronavirus. A booster tailor-made for Omicron is months away. The ultimate solution to an ever-changing COVID may be a so-called pan-coronavirus vaccine that maintains its effectiveness even as the virus keeps changing. The best way to reduce the number of new variants is to make it a priority to vaccinate everyone on the planet. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by our senior producer, Colleen Ross, and by me, with help from Amina Zoffer. Technical support was by Lauda Antonelli. The Dose strives to make you better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.